Hey everybody, this is Neil Payne, host of the Lab 538's NBA podcast, and every so often we're going to bring you segments that are recorded outside of the studio, where we go out and talk to some of the NBA's big movers and shakers. This time, our own Chris Herring caught up with L.A. Lakers owner and president Jeannie Buss, and they talked about Lonzo Ball, her relationship with Phil Jackson, and how basketball and family don't totally mix. Take it away, Chris. Jeannie, how have you been? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just eager to get, re- you know, watch some basketball. I am too. I am too. Now, now your team is going to be fun this year, and I think it, it feels like there's kind of a lot of optimism around that team. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I want to ask you a couple icebreakers. We we talked about this a little bit when we had lunch, and at reading around, kind of saw that you at least at one point, were a fantasy football player. Yes. And I'm curious <laughs> as to whether or not you, you still do that. And if so, who, who do you have as your quarterback for your fantasy football team? I've had, for the last couple of years, Russell Wilson. Okay. I've been in the same fantasy league for over 10 years. My sister got me involved in it. She's in the same league. And I, I really didn't realize how much I would enjoy it. Hmm. And uh, I really... I can I can see why it's it's keeps growing every year and and people are excited about it. But I decided this is my last year and I let my my um league know so that they could find a replace they'd have a year to replace <laughs> you gave me. Gave them a year heads up. <laughs> <laughs> and I I just I I just have a hard time with um the uh, a league that has a a team name that I think should be changed. You know the the Washington team. Huh. So last year I I made it that I wouldn't draft any players from the Washington team. Huh. And I just it's just hard for me to support and have to you know it's just that's my personal feeling. I understand. All. I'm I'm dealing with a lot. I love football. I was not in a good mood last weekend when Michigan lost their game to Michigan State. I'm still not in a good mood about that. <laughs> but uh, I've 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 had a real tough time with NFL. I haven't watched any NFL games this year. I think I have a kind of a problem with a lot of stuff that's happening there so that's that's interesting how excited are you for this season not just because the season is starting but it it, to a lot of people I think it kind of feels like a cloud's kind of been lifted there's new management in place obviously there's a draft pick there's Kyle Kuzma that I think a lot of people are excited about because of how he's played Mm -hmm. but also there's a a local draft pick that's obviously gotten a ton of attention does it feel kind of uh, I'm sure every year kind of feels new to some extent, but does this feel a little bit different? Are you excited in a different way for this year? Uh, I, I, you know, I think that um, I am excited because I feel like we have a direction. You know, hopefully that will translate into to wins on the court. But really, that's at the end of the day, that's how we're all judged in this business sure. is how how much you win. But I think that um, it's clear that what what magic is building along with Rob Palinka we've moved into this new facility so yeah there it it does seem like we have reset um things here but again it's it's all about you know showing progress and are we going in the right direction and i i think we are but i can sit here and talk about it but i'd rather see games and let that speak for itself so Lonzo Ball is so interesting to me for any number of reasons. I mean, even if you took some of the other things out of the equation, he, to me, is almost like unusually quiet. Um, you know, he, he talks with the media, and I feel like 
sometimes one or two sentence answers, not in a disrespectful way, but just like he's kind of answered the question mm-hmm. and he's just very seems like a no nonsense sort of person for the most part. Every now and then he'll post a pretty funny video on Instagram or Twitter or what have you, but <laughs> for the most part, um, really, really just kind of serious minded. What, what was it like for you meeting him? I assume you've gotten a chance to meet him. What was that like? Did, did he come off very quiet to you as well? And and also, obviously, I think part of the way he's judged in terms of that is against the idea of his father, mm-hmm. who's obviously a little bit louder and has more opinions maybe than, than Lonzo does. So have you met him also? Uh, yeah. I, you know, um, this was the first time um, that I've ever I was ever involved in the process that uh, Magic asked me when they brought in, you know, um, the the players that they were considering for that number two pick. Interesting. They wanted me to to meet them after you know their workouts or whatever. So we would sit down, have lunch. You know, um, I'd meet the parents or whoever you know came with them. Sure. And so yeah, I did get an an opportunity to meet with Lonzo. But when he did his workout at our facility, he he came by himself. He didn't come with anybody. So. I found him very quiet, but not unlike any, you know, other teenager that I've met that, you know, it's kind of like they they just haven't experienced the world. And I, I don't I didn't see um, in him a need to be, you know, he doesn't seek out approval or seek out, you know, pleasing people and just, you know, trying to um you know, give any false sense. I think he's he's a nice young man. He's quiet. I think he he expresses himself through basketball and his music. And um, you know, I, I I was impressed by him. Um, you know, because he kind of had that kind of confidence about himself mm-hmm. that he wasn't trying to overcompensate and 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 win approval. And to some extent, what you were getting at just a minute ago, the the results are going to speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Lonzo's play is going to speak for itself. Do you do you worry at all about the outside noise? And it's not like he's the one contributing to it, but do you worry at all about the idea? I, I, I live in Chicago. I watched the way that Derrick Rose was loved in that city, and then you know the, the the tune kind of changed a little bit when he went through injuries. The idea of playing at home, the idea that. His dad obviously does have a lot of opinions. It doesn't seem like he's necessarily going to get any more quiet over the course of the season. And it's also not Lonzo. That's his dad. Do, do you worry at all about that around him? Did you get a chance to meet his father? Uh, yes, I, I've met LeVar a few times and uh, also Lonzo's mother, Tina, Okay. and, and Tina's parents uh, as well. And uh, they're uh, delightful people. Uh, LeVar has – he's a, a very large personality – he is, you know, funny and charming and, you know, has very strong opinions. And um, I've, it's n- not anything that I haven't dealt with in, in my experience as a, a, you know, working in sports. I was a tennis promoter for a long time. And um, I dealt with the parents of tennis players. And they're particularly close to their children because th- as a, a tennis pro, you can, you know, you you join the circuit when you're 15, 16 years old, so your parents have to be with you all the time. Right. And so, um, you know, as we draft kids that are still teenagers, you know, that that 
the parents come with it. When when Kobe was drafted, he still lived with his parents. Right. So um, it's not anything that I haven't you know seen before, and I think that's just part of the process. And anybody who loves their children the way Lavar loves Lonzo, I think, is an admirable thing. So you you got into the idea that you promoted tennis, and when we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, that there was pro roller hockey, yeah. and you, you basically said that your dad kind of bought those teams for you mm-hmm. as a way, kind of a breeding ground to kind of try your hand at management. What what is your earliest memory of working with your father, even if it was just kind of smaller stuff, in the sense of trying to somehow be involved or mentored in terms of the family business and kind of picking up different details about that you know he 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 didn't buy the the lakers until you know he was 48 years old right i was 17 so watching him learn you know i mean he was a huge sports fan but not until you were in charge of a team do you really know what it's like every day so i watched his learning curve and um you know, supported him however I could, and I saw that he he you know he he took every decision you know he knew what what an owner's role was he knew what a general manager's role was, and um, the decisions that he made were always about trying to make a team better and trying to win. He had instant success with the Lakers. He knew he wanted to draft Magic Johnson. You know, when he bought the team, they had the number one pick. He knew exactly what he wanted. He also, at that same time, bought the Forum, where they where the Lakers played, as well as the NHL Kings. So he did not have that kind of success with the hockey team. It was continually frustrating for him Hmm. so I guess I saw you know all the the right things he did for the teams and and what was productive so I feel like I I I got to to watch him learn the business that you know he felt when there were big decisions to make he felt very alone you know that he wanted his family around him because Hmm. if a, a, a decision didn't go the right way and there was, you know, a failure or a backlash, you know, you know that your family loves you no matter what. And so I saw that he kept his circle tight. And, um, you know, he just, he, 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 he really had a natural ability to know what um, the fans wanted because he was a fan, first and foremost. Huh. That's that's really interesting to to think about that, and I, I know I already know I'm going to circle back to to some of that. You you were you like you said you were 17 when when he bought the team. I think you were either in college or were just about to start college at USC um, in the study business. One of the first, whether it was an official capacity or if it was more that he just asked and it was a way to keep you involved. Um, you had a pretty big task there right after he drafted Magic. Mm-hmm. Or not him, but the team drafted Magic. Um, that Magic, the, the draft was not what it is now in right. terms of the television aspect of it. And so Magic apparently came by the house, and you had a couple of responsibilities there to take care of. Um, yeah, I was staying with my dad um, right out of high school. And so um, they they flew Magic in. And so the very first time my dad met him, he came to the house um, the doorbell rings. My dad was upstairs, um, and he 
he said, you know, Jeannie, that's going to be Bill Sharman, the general manager, and uh, Magic. He said, let, you know, bring them in, sit them down in the living room, you know, get them something to drink. And he goes, I'll be down in a few minutes. So, you know, I'm making small talk. And, you know, Magic is 19 and I'm 17. You know, we're like the same age. I open the door and here's this like smile that just you know <laughs> blinds over he still has that same smile exactly <laughs> and uh so we were we're talking and he said you know i'm really excited that the lakers drafted me but i'm only going to stay here three years because i want to <laughs> go home and play for the detroit pistons because i'm from michigan wow. and that's my team and and i I, you know, my eyes like <laughs> like flew open, and I said, I'll, "I'll be right back." And I ran upstairs, and I said, "I go, Dad, you won't believe, you know, what Magic just told me." And I told him the story, and he said, "He goes, Jeannie, he said, once he puts on a Laker uniform and walks out on the floor at the Forum, he's never gonna leave." And he never left. <laughs> that is so interesting, though. Magic had, I mean, I, I, I don't know if a lot of people my age would know this or definitely wouldn't remember it because we would have been, we, we weren't born yet at that time. Magic had really firm thoughts um, about where he wanted to play mm-hmm. when he was coming out of college or whether he even wanted to come out of college certain years, depending on who had that top pick. He and later, I think after that, had said that had the Bulls won the coin flip that the Lakers won to get the first pick, that he would not have gone to the pros that year, that he did not want to be drafted by the Bulls and would not play there. I um, didn't know that. And so that's, that, a, that's a great obviously story. The, the, the Pistons won as, as well. But I imagine that had to be pretty nerve-wracking that that's your responsibility <laughs> to show them a friendly face before they get to talk to the boss. Right. And then the idea that he says he's going to bolt three years <laughs> in probably would not have been uh, a great impression in terms of the uh, the business acumen that you'd later come to have. So you, like you said, you've known Magic. Uh, you guys were basically the same age, mm-hmm. uh, knew him from that point. And now almost 40 years later, you guys have been friends. I've, I've heard several times that you've, Magic has said that he felt like he was treated like a son mm-hmm. by your father. Yep. And I understand that when you and Phil broke off the engagement, that Magic mm-hmm. was one of the first people that called. Um, so you guys are obviously very close. How much of the fact that you brought him in, you, you obviously know him, friendly with him, how much of that do you feel like happened because you know that your father would have wanted him in some sort of leadership role here versus the fact that you wanted him here and that you, you guys are friendly? Or do you kind of feel like it's a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I I, I know how my dad felt about magic about Irvin and um you know that that part that part was there like to know that but you know what happened was he called me at the end of December when Phil and I made the announcement and he, you know I said he, he, he's like how are you doing and I'm like I'm okay and I said but let's have dinner soon so we scheduled um a dinner he came to a game we had dinner before the game mm-hmm. and you know so in that conversation it was kind of like you know where you talk about your hopes and dreams and you know really at the age that we're at you know you kind of know what's important to you in your life and what you're willing to let go of that 
you know, you, you don't need to prove anything anymore. You've done everything. Now you want to pursue your passion. And so, you know, he said to me that it's, it's about, you know, how much the Lakers mean to him. Like he, hmm. he really came to that realization that, you know, he's got, you know, his role with the Dodgers and, you know, um, just all the other things that he's done, but it's, it all kept coming back to the Lakers and it, it just, it hurt him that the Lakers were struggling and he wanted to help in any way that he could. And that's really, that resonated with me because we're the same age. I know how he feels. I know like, you know, you really want to, to spend the rest of the time that you have left doing something that that like fulfills you and motiv- motivates you just because it it's what you love yeah. and um and i imagine that everywhere he went for the last few years even though he had nothing to do with the lakers he would get blamed for what was going on with the Lakers. You know, I could see him walking through an airport in Chicago and people say, what's wrong with your Lakers? Oh, boy. Right? And, like, and he, you know, he, he had to carry that feeling even though he wasn't, right. you know, he, he wasn't part of the operation. So I, I really took that, you know, what he said with all sincerity, and I felt that it was his his pure and simple motivation is to see the Lakers be great again. Now, how do you how how do you find that? You know, you've got a lot of people that like switch teams and go, and you know, run a couple different organizations. You know, there it's a job. Mm-hmm. It's a job. But this is really his passion. Yeah. Truly, truly, truly. We a lot of us could could see that. I mean, just the the tweets and sometimes I I think well-intentioned but you you could see how much he cared about certain things um there were a lot of people that were upset with him uh, he, he very clearly loved byron scott mm-hmm. um but before that he he basically was kind of gleeful when when the team decided to part ways with mike d'antoni because the, the stuff was just so bad that he wanted to see it get better so i i kind of understand how much he cares and and you guys do kind of carry a unique burden in some ways when the team isn't playing well because the people that are most closely tied to the team are going to be the ones that face the brunt of the criticism right. for sure. And, and I, I mean, let's go back to Mike D'Antoni for a second because I think he's a terrific coach. It's just that, you know, it, it, you when you change coaches every 18 months, the roster can't change that way. Sure. So we went from having Mike Brown, who's very, like, defense-oriented, to a very offense-oriented coach. And, like, and and so you know the players that were playing a lot under this one all of a sudden weren't playing under the sure. other one and it just it was like there was it was it was just a rocky ride so i don't sure. think it was a personal thing about mike i think it's it was just you know this is it, it's like trying to figure out where where are we going what's going on here it was sure. just too much of a rocky and it, ride. And, and the league changes but i don't know that it changes that fast where one thing becomes so much more important that right. quickly one thing I want to ask you, kind of more lighthearted question, but you can take it as seriously as you'd want to. People my age in particular uh, find Ma- Magic pretty humorous on Twitter because they he has a lot of tweets that are kind of obvious or common sense. But sometimes those same tweets would kind of get him in trouble. Uh, he, he wasn't uh, he was with the team and technically in official capacity, and I think the team got fined for some of the things that he said about 
prospective free agents, mm-hmm. but more so obviously more recently the the tampering fine that mm-hmm. you guys got hit with. So on the one hand, what was your gut reaction to the fine? But on the other hand, um, I, I have to imagine that because of who Magic is, it's also unique that an executive is willing to step up and, and take the fine him or herself. <laughs> so that probably is helpful that it's not necessarily hitting the organization's pockets. But how did you feel initially about the the well, tampering fine too? Um, you know, it, it's you know I. I understand, um, you know, the league went through a process. We we took it very seriously um, and accepted um, the the fine um, as they gave it to us. And um, you know, you never at an organization you never want to be fined for anything. Um, but you know, again, I think Magic wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a very passionate person. This is the the most important thing to him in his professional life and um you know that's you you that's what you get with people who are are passionate they sometimes you know step out of their lane a little bit but i think he he you know he's talked about it and we've moved on from it I will say this. I, I aspire to be in a place, not to where I necessarily get fined or cause a fine for that much money, but <laughs> if I ever do, to just be able to say, I've got it. I, I, I aspire to be able to do that someday. Um, so anyway, moving on from that, uh, the, the flip side of all that, obviously, bringing Magic in was uh, was a big decision to, to kind of move other people out. Uh, Mitch Kupchak had been here, I think he said, 36 years. But even more so, your, your brother, who mm-hmm. had been running the basketball operations on that side. I, I'm curious about, a, more than anything, the, the timing of it. It, it. it makes sense on the one hand. The trade deadline was coming up when that change happened. Was there anything more that went into it than that? Um, did you not necessarily want, uh, if you knew that you were going to make a change, did you want to make it then as opposed to having other people make decisions and then having other people come in and, and be responsible for the, the on-court product for those decisions? Uh, yeah. Yes. It, it, you know, I think um, that there is no off season in the NBA. That whatever, whenever the decision to make a change would be, you know, you're you're up against some deadline, the draft, the summer league, the you know, training camp. It's always something. So once I knew that um, it it was things weren't going to go the way they were going to go was going to have a meeting in April and you know it was just better once I knew that the decision I had to make it was better to do it as soon as possible and so that's why the decision was made in February two days before the deadline right you know it was um you know one of the first interviews that I I did on Spectrum which is our television partner here broadcast partner um was you know, to say that um, maybe I waited too long, hmm. you know, and I apologize to Laker fans that maybe I had waited too long, but th- that the decision had to be made. And, you know, we were moving forward. And um, clearly um, that triggered kind of a challenge to my position just internally with my family. And, um, you know, that's the part that, you know, kind of um, – surprised me and uh, I understand it as as things were were shown my dad clearly put me in charge he gave me the authority to make that change he told me he expected to me to make a change if 
the Lakers were ever in a situation that I felt that I needed to. Right. Um, and so... Um, and to be clear, your brother had, had kind of laid out a self-imposed deadline of when things would turn around. And I, right. I think Mitch gave a an interview within the last month with Woj where he basically said, we might have been too hasty in terms of being able to implement all these changes with the way the CBA was set up and how difficult it is. You can't necessarily just go out and buy talent anymore. Uh, right. Teams are willing to go pay guys to come in. And it seems like there's less emphasis being put on what city someone's playing in. They want to be in a competitive situation. So it wasn't easy to just turn stuff around. So that was probably, right. I mean, the writing was kind of on the wall from that standpoint, something that he'd said himself. So now that that move has happened um, and, and happened before the All-Star break, I, you, you already alluded to the, the challenge and a legal challenge, to, to be clear for anyone that isn't aware of it, mm-hmm. um, that at least from the outside looking in kind of looked like a, a challenge, like you said, to the idea that you were the decision maker here, mm-hmm. that you could make that change or that mm-hmm. you could be the one calling the shots here. Uh, I imagine that plus the idea of, of taking your brother out of the lead position in basketball ops, that that's straining to, to some extent, especially for family. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to necessarily let go of, of Mitch Kupchak either, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But what what sort of strain has that put on you all? Do, do, are, are you guys talking? And if you're not, do you feel like that's sort of something that can be repaired over time? You know, I'm not sure that it can be repaired over time. It was important that, you know, that um, that challenge was dealt with swiftly sure. and you know, unfortunately, it did make it in the media because we had to go to court. And um, but it was clear exactly what the intent of the trust was. But I, I am in my position. My job is I'm responsible to all the shareholders of the Lakers, of which my brother is one of them. Um, and so my job is to make money for him and that's what I do and I think um, allowing me to do that will just mean more you know to the bottom line which will make our shareholders happy of which he's one of them so that's my responsibility so it's hard not to to go here like the next logical question Mm -hmm. obviously maybe you're not in this position at all to have to make that decision if the team had been winning Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's obviously the first part, but but going back further than that, and, and going back to the Mike D'Antoni situation, do you play kind of a, a what if game in your head that if things had played out differently, they obviously came to you by them. I mean, um, Jim and Mitch, mm-hmm. and, and said, do you think Phil would be interested in coming back to coach? And those conversations were had. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looked like, at least to you, that it was moving in that direction, that it was kind of in Phil's court to make a decision on that. And then obviously they went in a, in a different direction that kind of threw you off and threw Phil off. It, do you feel like that consciously, when, when you make a decision like this, that all the other things that have happened since then, that if that had played out differently, that all this other stuff would have played out differently as well? Yeah, I mean, that is, that's, it is difficult to go back and say, what if? Um, Certainly that, that's, you know, I think that it would have been um, nice if that could have happened, I guess, because my, at that time, my father was still alive. Right. And, um, you know, he passed away in, in February of 2013. Um, so now you're talking about the fall of 2012. And, you know, we had, you know, had 
Dwight Howard and Steve Nash added to the team. There was a lot of high hopes about what could you know, be I remember the Sports Illustrated cover right. very and, vividly. You know, Pal Gasol. I mean, we had, we had, you know, some pretty interesting pieces of which would have been good under Phil's system. Maybe not Steve Nash, but certainly Dwight Howard, yes. And, you know, you had the majority of the team had played – in the triangle and so you know and and really what my dad what my dad was holding on to was he his dream was to surpass the Boston Celtics in terms of numbers of titles and so here we had this team that was loaded and you know a lot of them had played in the triangle it would have suited Dwight Howard it all kind of made sense and whether you know it was going to work or not who knows but that seemed like it was a it was kind of like a good situation right. um phil was committed to um taking the job because he knew that my father was ill and he wanted to be there to help the family in any way he could mm-hmm. he, he really didn't have any intention on coaching again but he he was willing to take on that responsibility if it helped the family and that's why it hurt particularly hard when they pulled the rug out from under him because that's how it felt this one um is a little bit more personal but do you feel like when you look back on that you called it a betrayal in in your book Mm -hmm. that it Mm -hmm. felt like a betrayal at the time looking at how stuff has played out now do you feel like that cost you your relationship Mm -hmm. to some extent the idea that he couldn't stay in LA, obviously took the job in New York, yeah. and then the idea that 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 you made the decision to change the front office. Do you feel like those two things are, are tied together? Do you feel like that cost you your relationship to some extent when you look at that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, when when Phil took the job in New York, um, you know, we had high hopes that you know we would be able to make it work. But um, as many people who've had to deal with long-distance relationships, as you know, it's really hard. And you lose that day-to-day connection. And, um, you know, and we were, in particular, you know, it was really important for us to separate the business aspect of our relationship because, you know, that there can't be any. The league makes that really <laughs> yes. clear in yes. like a way that even I like kind of feel bad. Like looking, <laughs> I get it, but it, it they lay out pretty clear specific rules and kind of it feels like whenever they mention those rules that they're almost looking directly at you guys. I know it's more broad than that, right? Um, it, it deals with families as well, I think, right? Because we we have a lot of brothers right. involved, you know, and we have fathers and sons on different teams, right? You know, and and. We have fathers and sons on same teams, like yeah. the you know Rivers. Doc but they don't Rivers. have to talk every day, or right. not necessarily. Whereas you guys, especially in a long distance relationship, probably right. would at least want to. Right, and so it just it just it it wore us down, and um, you know, we we made the mutual decision to to end the relationship. So there was a part of me that felt kind of sad um, looking at that. You never want to see people that have been together that long um, separate. But uh, one of the comments that you made, I think it was on Twitter, where you said that you'd kind of realized that the Lakers were the love of your life and mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be fair to the Lakers, the fan base, or to Phil um, to try to do everything when really there was only room for one. It's kind of the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I wonder, is it possible for someone to kind of have it all in a situation like that where there are that many demands on your plate? Um, you know, I like for me, um, I'm not a person who likes to, to do a bunch of things, you know, halfway. Like I can't. I'm not a good multitasker. I, I'm, I'm more a single focus person and really immerse myself in something. So for me, on on a personal level, um, you know, I, I don't think I could have, um, you know, had the career that I have and had, you know, a bunch of kids because I would be missing one or the other at the same time and so it it wouldn't have been the right decision for me now have I seen women who can do it absolutely and they do it well and with grace but I it's not something that um I think I would have handled well and so you know now again going back to that conversation with with magic about you know really realizing what's important to you in your life and what you're willing to fight for and I realized, especially the challenge from um, my brother, you know, that that this was something that I, you know, I, I truly understand, um, you know, what my dad's intentions were, what he, he knew that I was passionate about this, that I, I cared about this team and this community. And so um, I did what was right for me. So one thing I'm curious about, reading around, I think you, you'd given an interview where you'd said that you'd only spoken to Byron Scott maybe three times mm-hmm. um, over the course of his tenure. And Byron said later that he really didn't speak to you much at all. And they kind of felt like he wasn't supposed to right. because of some of the dynamics of the front office and and still kind of the lingering effects of the, the decision made with bringing Phil in, not bringing Phil in. What, what's your relationship like with Luke now? And it seems like based on the fact that you brought Magic in that there is more communication and mm-hmm. now that even the fact that you're sitting down with potential draft picks. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, I would say that my relationship with Luke is, is unique in that um, because he played for Phil mm-hmm. and, you know, when I was team mom, Phil used to say, you know, Bill might be his dad, but Luke is my son. You know, like he he knew, you know, right away that Luke was going to be a great coach someday, and started mentoring him. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I I feel I feel a closeness to Luke because of all the time that we've had together, um, and. You know, I believe in him, and I want to see him be successful. And uh, Magic feels the same way. That was one of the first questions I asked Magic was, you know, what he, how he felt about Luke, and he felt the same way that I did. And then I, I knew we were we we see things the same way. And uh, you know, with with Byron, I do believe that there was a wall that existed between the business side and the basketball side. And I think I am a person, you know, except in the relationship with Phil. Otherwise, you know, I stayed in my lane. You know, I I don't think I was an overbearing personality. All I wanted is to see the Lakers do well. What what would be be a successful season to you? I mean, is it a win total? Is it just seeing that some of these young guys are on an upward trajectory, given how young they are? I imagine that if there's not a win total in mind or a playoff goal in mind, that 
it's still not normal to really have that mindset with this franchise because of all the trophies that you guys have here. <laughs> you know, for me, it's it's about seeing progress. It's about seeing, um, you know, that every decision that we make as an organization complements the one before so that you're not – you know, at cross purposes, like, so that people can understand what you're trying to communicate and what you're trying to build. And, um, you know, so I expect to see progress. I don't know how to quantify that. But, you know, certainly, we're judged by wins and losses. So I'd like to see more wins. Um, We don't have a draft pick this year. So there's no reward for being bad as, as, as they would say like has that been stressful the last couple of years like this idea of i can't even keep up with all the pick protections and everything <laughs> or you need to finish in this range or you need to finish here in order to keep your pick or is, is that stressful to have to go into the lottery night and not know if you're going to keep your pick yeah i mean it, you know and and that, that that's you know obviously a league uh, subject uh, talking about tanking and and you sure. know, getting draft positions and you know the at the end of the last season I think we won five of our last six games now it it could have been that because the team was getting better for a, a trade that the team made you know near the end of the season or be, before the trade deadline if it was you know that we happened to be playing all teams that were tanking so they didn't even try I don't <laughs> know I don't know but you know I, I was surprised at how many fans I heard from that you know said you're ruining our chance to keep the draft pick wow. how dare you let them win and I was like really <laughs> taken aback like that that's a really a difficult thing it's for a strange league. place to be yes and yeah. and I, I think we're you know addressing that as a league and and um that's what i love about our commissioner because adam silver is a person who will look at everything to see how can we make something better it isn't just like well that's the way we've been doing it the last 30 years so we can't change it you know he's looking at everything with fresh eyes and i appreciate that about him but anyway so here here we are now we're in the lottery and the only way we can keep the pick is if it ends up at one two or three which i think we were about 56 percent chance basically half and half right and but when you can send somebody who has the name Magic to represent you at anything, <laughs> you can kind of think that there's going to be some good luck involved. And sure enough, it was we got lucky. Because there have been two or three years now where you guys have been in that yes. sort of scenario and you guys have always been able to keep the pick. Yeah, and so it was. It, it was I think that was a real big turning point for us. What do you see? Obviously, Kobe is kind of taking like a sabbatical here. Um, but what do you see eventually his role being, if any, w- with you guys just in general in life uh, when, when he decides that he wants to become kind of engaged in something? He's been mostly like documentary stuff and, you know, that stuff kind of chronicling the end of his career. But what do you, have you talked to him? Do you still talk to him? Um, you know, if when people ask me if he has a role, I say, yeah, he has a role. He inspires me every day. <laughs> he, Yes, I, I have um, gone to the mountain to get the wisdom of, of uh, the Mamba mentality. <laughs> uh, he's, he is um, one of the most strategic thinkers um, that I've ever encountered. Um, I think he's he's studied people. He understands people. Um, I think right now he's in the creative phase of his life um, where he can kind of just 
you know, chase what, what interests him. Whereas before being so disciplined about basketball and one, one thing and one thing that, you know, I think it's nice for him to just be able to like kind of stick his fingers in whatever sounds interesting and, and, and feed that creative spirit that he has. Cause he is creative. Um, but for me, like, um, he is uh, a person that I can, you know, present problem a problem to or a question to, and he gives me a thoughtful answer. I think he's extremely bright, and you know, he can do anything he wants. Anything. Did you did you all speak to him as he was winding down? Obviously, there was the farewell tour for him, which was was so much fun to kind of see. I'm kicking myself that I wasn't in Staples the night that he had 60. <laughs> I, I think I went to the Warriors game instead, and I was like, oh, should have gone to the Kobe game. Um, but it, obviously, it seemed it, it seemed like he kind of had his mind made up that he just wanted to relax for a little bit and kind of kind of dig into this creative side a little bit more. Did you guys try to? ask him if there was something that he'd be interested in or is that something that you would kind of expect him to come to you on there there there'll always be conversations i mean he's just he's connected he'll always be connected here so it's really about where he is and his you know what what challenges he's looking for thank you so much for taking the time with me today i really appreciate it i know how busy you are i appreciate it i enjoyed it thank you very much